Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day, Lord. And as we open up your scriptures, open up your word, we open up here in the book of Romans, Lord, what a blessing of scripture you have had for us and continue to have for us. Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive, Lord. What you have for us this day, go before us. Holy Spirit, speak through into the hearts of us all. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. We're going to be picking back up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We had a sweet time to see and watch um, this past week. We were down for a wedding. We saw two individuals who we, in New Jersey, that we got to uh, God used to minister to these young little ones. They were very, very young and uh, in the ministry, and we were in the children's ministry down there helping. And to, uh, this last week, we got to see those two little people grow up to be young adults and get married and do it God's way. There's no greater blessing to see your children or at least the children you've invested in to grow in their walk with the Lord and to keep their relationship pure and to come together as one as husband and wife. It was just a blessing to see the fruit of that. But here in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, Paul was struggling, as you remember in our previous studies, he was struggling in his Christian walk at this point in time in chapter 7. He was struggling and striving to move from a pharisaical a walk, a religious walk into a walk of grace, a walk of, 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 of grace and not by law, that the law had died and now it's the grace of God that is, gives him and it's by faith alone in Christ alone. And he was kind of making that transition from the old life into this new life and he was struggling with that as we saw. And he says here in Romans 7, chapter 7, verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> You know, we have sometimes feel that way. Oh, Lord, this body is just way too much control over me. I cannot get a shake in here. So he had this struggle here. But in chapter 8, I said it's going to finally turn. It, I mean, it's pretty heavy versus chapters 1 through 7. Did you not under, agree with that? There's a lot of heaviness because it's a lot of heavy topic about sin and the things that were going on in people's lives. But in chapter 8, it becomes all new. Paul finally gets it. It clicks for him. This is not about the law. It's not about the, I have, I, God has given me the power to overcome the things of my flesh. And in chapter 8, Paul gives us the answer. Who will deliver us, deliver me from this body of death? The Holy Spirit of God. That's what chapter 8 is all about, is the Holy Spirit of God. We see it 19 times mentioned in this chapter alone. In chapter 7, it was only mentioned once. But in chapter 8, 19 times, it is the key for you and our walk as a Christian to walk honorably and pleasing to our God is to have the Holy Spirit not only seal us for, for eternity, seal us for salvation, but it's also to overflow and fill us afresh to be able to walk in the power of the Spirit. In verses 1 through 11, 
the very first part of chapter 8, we saw there was no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We are not only have we have uh, not only have we our sins forgiven, but there's also an impartation of a new life into our lives. There's a new a new birth that takes place. A divine nature is born within us, transforming us into the image of God. And we do it by simply by a matter of faith. Faith in Christ alone. In Romans 8.1, we saw there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Family, you're free from the sin and the things that have been plaguing you. You've been free. We've seen that. And that's why Paul was rejoicing. That's why we can rejoice. That is why we see this, this, this chapter is such a beautiful chapter because it's one of the best loved chapters in all of the Bible. It's because it declares that you and I are free from the bondage and the slavery of our flesh. In Romans 8, 11, we said, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're a believer, he dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this, through his spirit who dwells in you. He's given you life, people. That's why we have joy, we have peace, we have, because we have the spirit of God, God himself living and dwelling within us. We just so have to remember every day that it's true, regardless of how you feel. It is true. And the last time we were here in Romans together, we saw Paul note that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, verse 9, to bring us a transformed life from a carnally minded life to a spiritually minded life, giving us a spirit of life, not only temporally, not temporally, here and now at this moment, because we can have that uh, that, that life today, we don't have to wait until we're in heaven. That's an eternal perspective that was also our future. That's our hope and promise, not only here today, here and now, but also in the future. And so that not only do we have this temporal, verse 10, but we also have eternally, verse 11 here, giving life to our mortal bodies. Go back and read John chapter 10, verse 28. Go back and read Romans 6.23. We are going to live forever in eternity with Christ Jesus, our Savior. That should be an amen. A holy grunt, something. Acknowledge me here on this one. Doesn't that just give you peace? Have you been beat up by the world and your flesh enough to, to, to think if at times where you're like, this is all life is all about? No, if you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you can live that life of peace now and joy and have a promise and a hope for eternity. And think of such a great conversation you have to share with anybody who's willing to listen. Because there's so many people hurting today and so many people lost and no hope. And you have the conversation that you can share. I don't know. I've, I've had you know, times that well, I don't know what to say. 
I don't, these are new people. I'm not sure what to say. You have a lot to say. You have a lot to say about the, the, your Savior. You have a lot to say about your eternal hope, your, your present hope, your, your present joy, your present peace. You have so much to tell someone if you don't know what else to say to those individuals. But today we're going to see another. We see the second part of chapter 8, and that is verses 12 through 17. So we saw the first part, verses 1 through 11, no condemnation. Today we're going to see no obligation. The topic today is the spirit of adoption and that there is no obligation that we have to live after our flesh. There is no obligation for us to have to live after the pattern of our sinful life. There is no control. There's no reason for us. We're not obligated to do that. We're only obligation is, is to live in the spirit because the Holy Spirit is in us and has sealed us. That's the only obligation is to know that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and he lives in and that's the only obligation we have. We don't have any obligation. There's no obligation to the flesh or to live after a pattern of sin. And it starts right here in Romans 8, verse 12. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't have to do that. You're, if you're doing it, it's because you're choosing to do it. If you're not a believer, then of course that's just your natural thing you're going to do. You're going to live after the flesh. You're just going to live after this world. It's going to be natural. You won't have any struggles with it. You actually enjoy it. Why? Because you're a non-believer. That's all your body knows. That's all you know. But once you're sealed, once the Holy Spirit lives in things, you can no longer practice those things. You can't live after the patterns of your sinful nature anymore. You can't enjoy the things of this world, a sinful world, and what it offers. It cannot dwell. Darkness and light cannot dwell. So you come in through this struggling and this carnal mind. But we see that Paul says to us, you're free from that. You're no longer in the, the, in the family of this world. You're in the family of God. There's an adoption that has taken place. You're no longer. You're, you have an inheritance. And he makes it very clear that you no longer are debtors. Your debt has been paid. The, on the cross, Jesus died for your sins and paid it. It's finished. It's done. Do you believe it? He says there is no debt. There, I mean, there is a debt to owe. But we don't owe the flesh anything. There is no obligation to live by the flesh or to live by the sinful nature. Our debt is to the Lord Jesus himself, and that is it. Not to the flesh. Why? Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. You know why we're indebted to the Lord? It's because he has set you free. He has died for you to give you freedom. If someone has died in your place and is getting set you free, do you not feel indebted to that person? That's the only one we're indebted to. It's just the Lord. The flesh has only brought troubles into our lives. It has only given us nothing but sadness and tearing and unity and carrying people apart because they live by the flesh because they want what they want. 
And anytime we find ourselves going, I want what I want, you know we're, I'm, I'm in trouble. I know you know you're in trouble. You know it. Because when you live by the Spirit, you know it's only going to be good. It's only going to be right. It's only going to be peaceful. It's only going to be refreshing and joyful. So when you have the peace and joy, you know you're living in the, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, you're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. But we are indebted to God. For what he has done in our life, we owe Jesus everything. We worship that. We sang that. Do you remember the words we were lifting up to God in, in prayer and adoration? In verse 13, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, what is the result here? It says, you will die. You will die if you live after the flesh. But if the spirit, but if, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. Did you see the simplicity of the scripture there? And it's all up to you and I because it's given us a free will, a choice in that. Do you choose death or do you choose life? Do you choose to, to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Worldliness? Don't be surprised what God told us. You will experience death. But for you and I, for children of God, we can experience life because we choose not to live at the, after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We choose to turn away from the things of this, the worldliness. Because through the power of the Spirit, we're in, in, he was able to put to death the deeds of the flesh. God wouldn't say he can put the deeds of the, of the flesh to death if we didn't give us the power to do it. When we put to the death the, the to death the deeds of the body, we are we are choosing to force the sinful flesh to submit to the spirit. You're causing your flesh to be submitted by the spirit. And we must do it by the spirit because you and I, we've all been there, tried to do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power, and all we do is just become unraveled and tired and exhausted and striving. And we give, and many give up. But if you trust in the Spirit of God to empower you as He promises, you will have the power of the universe to overcome the things of the flesh. Remember, the flesh is the body. It's just a vehicle by which one sinful nature expresses itself. Romans six six and six thirteen. It's just the flesh is just a vehicle. We've got to have that vehicle rehauled, changed. Paul tells us that not only are we saved by the work of the Spirit, but we're also we must walk by the Spirit if we want to grow and pursue holiness in the Lord. We cannot be like some of the Gentiles, non-believers. We can't be like them who thought they could begin in the Spirit, but then find spiritual perfection through their own flesh, Galatians 3.3. I want to be saved, but then I want to do it my way. That is carnality. That's, as we learned a couple weeks, that, is, that, that doesn't work. It's not going to work. You must start in the, in the spirit and continue to walk in the spirit to have success. That is why Romans 8 is so powerful. Too many believers are trying to fight evil habits or evil, evil tendencies of their own, and it's exhausting to strive 
for the flesh. Because if you strive to obtain, you will strive to maintain. And you only fall, well, matter of time, you will fall. And it's only by the Holy Spirit's power can a believer put to death the sins of his former life. And we see that in Ephesians 4, verses 23 through 31. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9. And Romans 6, 11. There is no other way, my brothers and sisters. There is no other way. We do not have an, well, I should say, we really, the obligation is, our focus is really on the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Spirit of God, that still small voice, to speak to us, and we're just obligated to be immediate obedience to what the Spirit is telling us to do that is going to be pleasing to the God and is aligned up with the Scriptures. For it is the Spirit who convicts us. It is the Spirit who revealed Christ to us. It is the Spirit who's imparted eternal life to us when we trust in Jesus Christ. Think about this. If you walk into a dark room, you walk in this pitch dark room, and you walk into this room, and you just don't just start screaming and doing karate chops and kicks in the middle of the air. You don't sit there and rebuke the darkness, unless it's your husband scaring you, and, and that's probably, you are probably throwing, you know, knowing it's going to be him in the middle of the air. But you just wouldn't walk into a dark room and just start rebuking darkness and kicking and punching in the middle of the air and screaming. You wouldn't do that. You would turn on the light. You would turn on the power and, and, and darkness flees. It brings clarity. You can see what you couldn't see before. Now you can see. Once you were blind and now you can see. Once darkness has been revealed, you must shine light on it so it can be seen. And then darkness flees. Jesus promised the disciples to empower them to turn on the light. We see that in Acts 1.8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He'll come upon you. He gives us the power to live as he wants to live, freeing us from the bondage of the flesh and the darkness. Isn't this incredible of the experience that Paul clearly in his life, his adult life, saw and experienced and, and how important he saw himself in this religious darkness and now he's in the light and how it was not about dark, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. In verse 14, he goes on, he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Oh, I love the clarity. The simplicity here. It is only fitting that the sons of God should be led by the Spirit of God. Do you notice that it's not the believers leading the Spirit to what they want done? Did you notice that? It's not us, you and I, saying, Holy Spirit, God, ringing the bell, I need you to do this, and I want to do this. You're going to make it happen. No. It's the Spirit of God leading the believer, the leading the sons of God, the Scripture says here. Paul doesn't say, those who go to church, these are the sons of God, did it? No. Those who read their Bibles, these are the sons of God, did it say that? No, it didn't say that. 
those who are gun-carrying, Bible-carrying, wave, American wave-flagging, patriotic men and women, these are the sons of God? No, doesn't say that. He didn't say that just because you took communion that you're the sons of God. And the text here is very clear. The test of sonship is whether or not a person is led by the Spirit of God. That is the invitation. How does the Holy Spirit lead you and I? We are led to victory, we see, in Christ Jesus. We are led by guidance through our life. We are led by drawing us to. We see that we are led by the governing authority that is placed above us. We are led as we, co we cooperate with the leading. We are not grieving the Holy Spirit. We are being led and we are obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It does not say as many are driven by the Holy Spirit, does it? Who drives us? The only one that drives us is the devil. If he drives you to something, that is not of God. God leads. He draws he guides. He never pushes. Go in the scriptures and study the life of Jesus Christ and how he interacted with his disciples, and you will see clearly how you and I are to interact with others and leading others. We never push them. We never drive them because it's not of God. We lead them. We guide them. They must follow. They must learn how to follow with a free will. Charles Spurgeon says, whenever you see a man's frantical and wild, whatever spirit is in him, it is not the spirit of Christ. But where does the Holy Spirit lead us? Where is he taking you and I? Well, he leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little of self and much of Jesus. He leads us into truth. He leads us into love. He leads us into holiness. He leads us into usefulness. But he leads us to his will. And not our will. Many claim to be children of God. But it's not what they claim that counts. It's what they are. Go back and read 1 John 4.20. People struggle so hard with finding God's will, but it is so simple. We simply need to love the Lord, and because we love the Lord, Psalm 37 says the Spirit will change the desires of our heart to conform to his will. It's not complicated, brothers and sisters. If we will only yield to the Spirit, if he guides us by his word day by day, we have the liberty of the Spirit and are free to follow Christ in just in so much joy and so much peace. If you will just be willing to follow. Willing to yield that immediate obedience. Not only is this, but he not only is he He's the spirit of life that we've seen in the previous chapters. He can empower us to obey Christ. He can enable us to be more like Christ. He gives us a new life. 
But we also see here that he also is the spirit of death. Not only spirit of life, he's the spirit of death. He can enable us to put to death the sinful deeds of the body. But not only can he give you life, not only can you give you the power, give you the power to put down those sinful deeds, but he sees right here in verse 15 that he gives us the spirit of adoption. He says, for you do not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You ever remember seeing this written, Abba, Father? What is Abba? Abba in the original Aramaic language means father or daddy. And if you've ever been to Israel and you've been down there and you're watching, and I remember so distinctly these kids are playing and one got hurt, and all of a sudden they was like, Abba, 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 Abba. Daddy, 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 I'm hurt. Something, come help me. This term of endearment is what is the relationship is all about. I remember that how I was so under, misunderstanding what is religion versus this relationship. I struggled with that until I realized it's, I mean, he's not speaking to me as a, some baby. He's not talking to me some like some little child that cannot talk and cannot walk because we see in the scriptures here that we can talk. We can walk here. We are to be able to receive when we hear. We have the ability to come and understand as, as mature and young men and or sons and daughters of God to be able to understand and to hear from God. And that we have this tender relationship that we can call him daddy. We can call him Abba. We can call him father. It's not some distant, angry God that doesn't allow you to come into his, his throne. Or as we, as men sometimes, are, and you, people go, don't come into my office, children. You can't come to me. I'm in my office. No, your children should be able to come into your office. They should have the freedom to come to Abba, to your father, and come freely without any fear, as the scriptures say. And to say, Dad, I need your help. I need you. I have an emergency. I need you. And the Father will stop everything and will help that child. But the child must come to the Father. We enter God's family in this new birth that we saw in John chapter 3. This adoption gives us this adult standing in his family. We just, we, he doesn't just not deal with babies or little children, but he deals with us as mature, young adults, young sons and daughters, and, and helping us to understand this, this relationship now that we start. It's all new. It's living as this child of God means this intimate, joyful relationship with God. Not like this bondage and fear demonstrated by the law, what the law generates. You shall not, you shall not. You sh that is not what he's saying here. He's saying it's by grace, it's by love that you are able to come and spend time with God. It's a child of God can have this relationship with God so close that it's become so natural for you and I to just boldly come to our Father daily and, and just talk with him to hear from him and to desire for him. Remember that we are in Christ. We have the privilege of relating to the Father in heaven even just as Jesus Christ did. In verse 16, we see that the Spirit himself bears witness 
with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit of God will bring witness that we're a child of God. This is not an unknown. It bears witness. See, the evidence that we are children of God, it says right here, is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That his spirit bears witness with mine that I'm his son. I'm his daughter. It bears witness that there's a relationship there. There is no, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not I'm questioning if I really, do I really have a relationship with God? Do I know? I do. I go to church. I, I, I kind of sometimes listen to people who talk about the word of God. I kind of sit around and act like it, smell like it. But do you really desire it? yourself in that personal relationship or do you live that through someone else that's why it can be a danger sometimes for our children our children many times will live through their parents relationship personal relationship with Jesus and never really understand how important it is they must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ oh don't get me wrong God uses you as parents, godly parents, to raise them up according to the way. But there has got to be a personal time, a personal moment that where they come to the knowledge and understanding and they surrender their life to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Not just I know of them through my parents or through the church, but they personally desire to know. And the Spirit bears witness of that. This two witnesses of our salvation, personal salvation, is our own witness and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? There are two or more witnesses. Two witnesses bear to you and I if someone is saved. It's by our own witness and the witness of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to wonder if we're really Christians or not. Because Paul says here very clearly, the Spirit himself bears witness of our spirit that we are children of God. In verse 17, and we'll finish here with verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God has given Christ everything because he is the Son. He's been given everything. And in many families like you and I on this earth, you are heirs to your parents' estates. If there's more than one children, then you're co-heirs in that estate, right? You tracking with me? You all following with me here? It's the same thing in the, ch in the children of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the inheritance that is of what the Father has given us. We're going to be in heaven one day. We're going to be walking on the paths of gold. We're going to see the, the wonderful and miraculous uh, that we read in the scriptures of what heaven is going to be like. We're going to be working alongside and worshiping our, our Father in heaven. We're going to be joint heirs, as we see right here. That becoming a child of God through Jesus Christ makes us this joint heir of all things in him. 
Jesus said in Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, the believers, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the king prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness and the world and those who dwell within it. Do you know that that is your inheritance as a child of God? Can you imagine once that clicks in your head, you'll stop striving for the things of this world and the, these temporary things of this world that will just burn and that you'll realize your entire inheritance is coming in the future? Yes, sir. We're getting to that point. You're finishing the verse. It's exactly right. It says, because as a child, not only will you be given this benefit, but there's also other benefits or other changes or things that will take place in your life. And if you look at the verse again, it says at the very end, indeed, we will suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Does it not say that? So when it says right here, it says child that has the benefits and responsibilities of children. Why? Because because we are in Christ, we have the privilege of relating to the Father as Jesus does. Therefore, we are inheritance to what the God's going to give us. But being a child of God also means having an inheritance. We see in Luke 18, 18, it says, The rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit? But the rich young ruler missed the point because he thought he had to do something. You, I, I got to do something. I, I've been trying to do something. I've been asking to do something because this is it's not about doing. It is about being in the family. Being in the family. That's where it starts. Being in the right family, God's family. And because of that, there, you're going to get the good and the ugly that comes with that being in the family. Just like you look at all of our families. There are things in the families. There's some really good things and there's some really not good things in the family. But we see here in this verse very clear to us. So that doctrine that goes floating around here about this name it, claim it, and you'll never have sickness and all these things. Scripture is very clear here. There's suffering that will take place in you and I. He said it's a guarantee you'll be persecuted. Did he not say in the scripture? But he also says right here, he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Because we're in Christ, we're also called to share in his suffering. God's children are not immune from suffering. And I'm going to give you the scriptures. Go back today and research. Go back to John 15, 20. Go back to Colossians 1, 24. Go back to 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 1 Peter 4, 12. Each one of those say, we're going to suffer for our relationship as a, a child of God. It's a guarantee. But do not fear. Don't be heavy laden. He's given you the power of the unit, the spirit of God, to lift you up above all these things, to empower you. To, he's going to walk you through these dark valleys. He doesn't say he's going to keep you from the valleys. Meshach, Rashak, and Abednego, you know these guys. They were being obedient. And because of their obedience to God, what happened? Did God spare him them to going into the um, fiery furnace? No. God says, I'm, we see in the scriptures that he was in the fire. Those who threw them in, those who wanted to do harm, they're the ones that got burned up. They're the ones that don't know what they're doing. They're the ones that are going to be suffering. But for the children of God, as you feel like you're in a furnace that's been heated up seven times, 
if you keep your eyes and just keep walking with God, he's going to bring you through the fire untouched but refined. Because that heat that you find yourself in, the suffering, the trials, the tribulations, it will bring out the impurities that God wants to bring out in your life so that that dross can be just skimmed off and purified. And it's called transformation. It, it means bringing you to a point of glorification. Do you see the scripture here? It's not just about suffering, but he uses that suffering so that we may also be glorified together. There is a positive outcome for those who trust in him. Good will come out of that suffering for those who love God and do the things according to his promise, right? So we know that in fact our sharing in present suffering is a condition of our future glorification. It's a condition for our future glorification. Go back and read 1 Peter 4.13. Philippians 3.21 says, you who will be transformed our lowly body into that may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? That we're going to be brought in into that glorified state and he is working in us through these times of suffering. And as far as God is concerned, it is all part of the same package of being in that sonship. That adoption, the, the spirit of adoption. No matter how our flesh may want to have the inheritance and want all the, the, the glory that comes from that in, inheritance and all the things, the benefits of coming in as a child of God and his family, we do not want to suffer. I understand that. None of us want to suffer. But understand that we must because it's a condition and that is what he does and how he works in our lives to bring us to glorification. That is why we can praise him even in times of suffering. And we see that in scriptures, do we not? Paul and Silas, they're just thrown into jail. Were they murmuring and complaining within the jail cell? Were they sitting there, oh, I can't believe no one helped me. Why you didn't keep me from this? Blah, blah, blah. No, they sat there and were worshiping God. In chains, in darkness, suffering they were worshiping their God that is how a child of God responds to those who are walking in his spirit see because the spirit wants to do a work in you there's no need for the believer to be defeated we already have victory he's already given us victory we share in that victory he can yield his body to the spirit and by faith overcome the old nature if you were just willing to yield to the spirit. Why? Because the spirit of life will empower you. The spirit of death will enable you to overcome the flesh. And today we see very clearly the spirit of adoption will enrich you and lead you into the will of God. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you and we praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you for doing and speaking to our hearts through your word today. We thank you for adopting us into your family. 
providing, changing, encouraging, all the things that we need, Lord, in our lives. And we trust you and you alone. Yes, there's things, Lord, we may not like to hear and to see in Scripture, but you said it, it is written, and we believe it, and we go by faith each day, Lord, living in obedience to you, because we love you. Our, our obligation is to you and you alone. It is not to anyone else. It is not in this world. It's not into the system. It's not in the job. It's not in nothing other than our obligation to you. Because you paid the price. You bought the victory. You've done it all. It is finished. And we praise you and honor you in all of it. We thank you for this day. So be for us in Jesus' name.